Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Did the Fed's message fall short? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jeremy Schwartz, Global Chief Investment Officer at Wisdom Tree. Hi, Jeremy. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me, Maggie. Good to good to be with you. Yeah, and kind of an interesting day, right? We we watched the Fed yesterday, Powell and Gang do their best to characterize the decision as a hawkish skip, really emphasizing that fight on inflation, but it doesn't seem like the market's reading it that way. US stocks all in rally mode up over 1%, treasury yields are down. What do you make of this? There's something for everybody in that kind of statement. And, you know, and, and actually the data has been coming. Well, we've said, hey, it's and the market today is sort of like this Goldilocks market where it's not too hot, it's not too cold. Fed's just kind of right. Now, we think they are being too hot, too hot, you know, too hawkish, actually. Like we actually don't think the economy is quite as strong in a sense of inflation we think is coming way down more than Powell is even saying. But he's made good comments. Like he's making comments about the cumulative tightening that monetary policy takes time. Um, you know that, that obviously they skip. Now he 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 said skip. I shouldn't say skip. It was a, a funny quote when he talked when he tripped over his lines there. But you know, the, the the dot plot reads out hawkish with two more anticipated hikes. They're anticipating better growth actually still higher inflation, lower unemployment. That lower unemployment is sort of this Goldilocks scenario of they can pretend to be hawkish with this sort of two two hikes in the dot plot, but they don't have to hike. Uh, and it could be a pause. I mean, we've been saying this is likely the last hike. I mean, I definitely have other friends and economists who are saying, no, they're going to keep hiking. They're going to hike in July. They're going to hike later. Inflation's sticky. And I understand some of that. Um, but we have our own measure of inflation. Uh, we call it sort of the alternative inflation uh, that reflects what's going on, what we see more in the in 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 real world. And and how and Powell is talking about housing coming down. Um, now, there's there's issues in all the way people calculate all sorts of things in in the CPI. But you know, the the shelter inflation in BLS is annualizing at eight percent. And that is a significant component of traditional CPI. Uh, now, that shelter number has two components. It has an owner's equivalent rent, and it has rent. Rent is increasing. Like if you look at real-time rent from Zillow, it's 6% year over year. But Case-Shiller housing is zero to negative year over year. I mean, so it's come way down. Seven of the last nine months, it's come down. So when we put in our calculation for shelter inflation, I have half 
half of 1%. So I put out this, this chart right after inflation came out, and instead of 4.1 headline inflation, my numbers show 1.4. Well, that's our, a big, that's a big difference. Big headline, it's like, hey, they've already achieved their goal. Right. I was saying soon they might, my number might get to zero this summer. So wait, so 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 walk us through again why, and it it's really reminds me of Jeff Gunlack yesterday saying, like, I think they're looking at the wrong things. There's this high-frequency data that's happening now in the economy, and he also sees a rapid deterioration, both in inflation and growth. I'm going to come to that. But why is your inflation read so different than the Fed's? Or, or to the standard model that... That world. I mean, what's what's so interesting is how important this housing number is. The only thing we're doing differently, mm. we're using all of CPI, mm. but we're substituting a different housing number. Wow. And so, if, if this, it shows you how important shelter inflation is in the number, shelter inflation is eight percent in the CPI numbers that everybody's quoting, but in the real world, it's not eight percent. I mean, rents, yes, 6%, but even rents are only, you know, a quarter of the shelter inflation that's in there. It's this owner's equivalent rent. And what is owner's equivalent rent is a whole nother question. But it ultimately will track home prices to some degree. And this is where home prices are going at zero to negative the last 12 months, not 8%. So do you know why there's such a discrepancy in that data? And presumably, if you know it, hasn't anybody told the Fed? Well, they did, to their credit, a few months ago, they did start saying core, this is why you started hearing them say core services at shelter. So you oh. finally did hear them say this core service at shelter. But shelter is a huge part of it, particularly if it's declining and offsetting the inflation they have elsewhere. Um, so they, they, they're, they're starting to recognize that some of that inflation is coming down. Ours is coming so down that it offsets everything else and actually gives you this in, in my view, my number is going to hit zero this summer. Um, it's already below two percent. It's already below their target. Be saying suggest easing on on their on their targets instead which, of which the market is backed out now. The market's taken all the easing out this year. I mean, Seal does have a loud voice. He is on CNBC all the time. <laughs> that people are listening to him. But I don't know. I, I they so they they the market does not believe what they say, and yeah. generally the market can be right. But if they stick with this overly hawkish narrative, that is the, the true issue. Um, I mean, the, 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 the market's not cheap, and so there are segments of the markets that are really not cheap. Um, and so the, the more they keep pushing and try to t tighten inflation that's not really there, in our view, that, that's where you have an issue for the economy. So is it fair to say, if you're looking at this, that shelter explains the stickiness of inflation, at least in the in the traditional measures, and that it's not coming from wages? Are we be are we, the Fed's kind of hinted at this? Are we past the point where we're concerned about wage inflation? That was another positive. Like you say if you go back to like the positives that came from this press conference, that for a while it sounded like Powell was really anti-labor, really anti-American worker who has not kept up with inflation. Like, so wages have not, the last two to three years, it's not, there's been declining real wage growth. And, you know, you say the worker, you create, and if you really want to point at the thing, you say, hey, you created all this inflation. You let the money supply expand 40% from March of 2020 to March of 2022. 
And now you're telling people you can't catch up with inflation. What are you telling the worker? Why are you telling them they can't catch up with the inflation you created? Uh, so, and now you're getting to election season is, do you want everybody hammering the Fed? Is that, you know, you really shouldn't be so anti-labor, anti-worker, let them, you know, yes, we need to address inflation, address inflation is a real issue. Prices are high, but it's coming down. The, the growth mm -hmm. rate's naturally coming down. And you should let the worker catch up. They, they deserve to catch up. Yeah, and if there's no sign that it's a wage spiral, then they can. If, if, if it becomes clear that it's the sort of backward-looking shelter component, then again, I think you're stringing together why we see the market looking through the hawkish rhetoric and saying, okay, if it's a lag in shelter, and that's coming down, maybe some measures that the sort of more real-time measures that the Fed's not tracking are coming down, inflation less of a problem. The Fed doesn't have to kill the job market. We don't have to see skyrocketing unemployment for them to finally pause or hold them here, but that will support the economy. So are we back to, dare I say, are we back to a soft landing scenario? Or is that just crazy talk? Well, I mean, the markets are saying this is Goldilocks. I mean, that is definitely what it's sort saying. The same thing, right? Bullish thing. I'd say, you know, the your point on the wage price spiral, very important and, and, and spot on, is that if wage growth was going way above inflation, that's what goes for the spiral is that, hey, wages are outpacing inflation. Now they start raising prices to keep up with the pressure they're trying to put in wages. But wages are not keeping up with inflation. Mm. So the negative real wage growth is why there's, no real spiral in our view that the, the higher wage growth in the system is slow moving. It's sort of a, it'll catch up over time. You know, the people renegotiate contracts every year, but you know, that you, and, and there's a question of slack and will unemployment rise. And hey, the feds forecasting unemployment to rise to 4.1 and four and a half next year. So they're, they are expecting a, a softness now before they're, Actually, they were projecting a recession because they were saying we're going to have, based on the you had a good Q1 GDP, and then they're basically where their outlook for the full year GDP was. They were projecting negative GDP growth right. for the last last three quarters. They're no longer projecting a recession in that sense, but it's still pretty sluggish growth and uh, not an overly strong environment there. Um, we still have hired a lot of workers and there's this question of productivity, like what are all these workers doing? Are, you know, there's a, it's been a very perplexing, we hear about AI and how AI is going to transform the economy and make us so much more productive. You haven't seen that in the official data yet. And the question will be, this was one of the things we thought could help save the economy this year is we might actually, we thought we'd go into this year and have negative employment growth and, and positive GDP because productivity would rebound from dismal, dismal levels. Productivity still seems dismal, dismal levels because we're still hiring a lot of people and we still, you know, and, and the economy's not growing at some gangbusters pace. Yeah. So productivity is still negative um, and not a, not, a, not a useful contributor. So that, that's, that's an interesting... It's it's one to watch though, isn't it? Because I feel like we've been doing a festival of learning um, here for the last two weeks. Um, and I feel like, which if you missed it, if you're a member, you can of course rewatch it on the platform. I feel like a lot of the 
I'm, I'm going to call them bridges to all of us, right? Like th there were, there was all this development of it, but then it landed on our computers and chat GPT. So the sort of bridges out to the general population, to companies to really sort of use this, th they're, they're there, but there's, it's still so early and it's moving so rapidly. So we don't know yet, right? We could still see that productivity. It may just be a little bit further down the, the pipeline. Why does that matter? Why do you pay so much such close attention to productivity for people who may not sort of understand how that plugs into the equation? Well, it's important. There's economic productivity and then there's company profit margins, which is another way of expressing it. You know, like the economic wide is pretty straightforward that you have real GDP is how many people are working and how productive are those people? Like the output per hour worked, which is another point on economic growth was you, you heard at the last jobs report, people were like, oh, it was a decent jobs report, but hours work ticked down a tenth. And in, in when you have a tenth of an hour worked less, when you have something like 34 kind of hour work weeks and you have a tenth, that's three tenths of an hour work less. There's 150 million people. And so you just multiply three tenths times 150 million people working that's like 450,000 jobs less. So, you know, so we had a 360,000 job number last month. They worked less. So you sort of like, it wasn't that great of a jobs number is, you mm -hmm. know, there's people sharing last job number. It wasn't quite so good because the that hours worked often gets ignored by a number of, of commentators. But that how many hours worked and how productive are you in those hours are the key variables. Now for, for profit margins, if you could do more with less, you know, that's like the ultimate definition of productivity. We're always being sweated. Can you sweat a little harder? Can you work harder? Can you do a little bit more with, with either less resources, less people? Um, and technology can do that if, you know, you potentially are able to do more with less if, 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 if technology solves that issue. And, and so profit margins could be supported. I mean, that's what you see with Meta, you know, right? The classic year of efficiency is there what is it, 25 to 30% of their workforce? They're not being any less productive. You know, the profits are actually doing well. They, You see they way overhired. Now they're scaling back and can they do more with less people? That's the, that's the classic definition of, of productivity. Hey everyone, we're gonna take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Yeah, can they do more uh, more with less people? And then the next question, as we think out further out down the AI line, and this is where we don't know, but a lot of really interesting speculation about this, does that free up those people to do brand new things um, that, that we don't know? Or does it just result in us having to kind of completely redefine what people are doing? That's going to be, but that's a, that's a much bigger further out. So very interesting. And we talked to Jim Bianco yesterday, and he had some thoughts about the change nature of work, um, sparked a lot of comments on the platform, which was great to see. And we'll revisit that, everyone. But we were also talking about, so on the issue of profitability, so this kind of brings us to the stock rally that we're seeing. Uh, I want to ask you about the banking sector, because 
So we've got this Goldilocks sort of moment. The market's taking off. Sort of risk appetite is back. But you know, not too long ago, we were worried about the situation with the banking sector. We spoke to Jim about it yesterday. And even with a pause, he's less worried about sort of wave of failures, but is really paying attention to the profitability part of the of the banking sector. Let's have a listen to what he said, and we'll talk on the other side. Right. And what's going to happen is a lot of the banks that are, you know, the ones that pack Wests in the Western alliances, you know, pack West is in Beverly Hills, Western Alliance is in Phoenix. These are big regional banks that have been under stress. Uh, there's been huge borrowings by the Federal Home Loan Bank. Remember that before you get to the Fed in the Fed discount window, the joke about the Federal Home Loan Banks, it's structured very similar to the Fed. It's, it's the lender of next to last resort, and the Fed is the lender of last resort. And they have extended over a trillion dollars of credit to a lot of these regional banks. Now, that means that the regional banks are liquid. They have no liquidity problems, but that money's expensive. What is good for them and good for their profitability is you leave your money in the bank getting half a percent because they could take their money, pay you half a percent, lend it out at 6%, keep the rest for themselves. But if you take your money out of the bank, they lose that deposit. And of course, you put it in a money market fund. That's not a bank deposit um, getting 5%. They have to replace your lost money. They can go borrow from the federal home loan bank, but it costs them 5% to do that. So now all of a sudden their cost of funding is just skyrocketing because of this. So you're right. The Fed will look at this and go, banks have profitability problem, not my concern, raise rates. And, yeah. that, and uh, if there is a problem with the profitability, call Michael Barr, the head of supervision, tell him to send some bank examiners to talk to them. Right. That's the way that they're going to look at it. That was part of the extended daily briefing we did yesterday. We do it each Wednesday now. We've shifted it so it's midweek so that we can have time to talk about it and put some things into practice. If you want to be able to participate in that part of the discussion, scan the QR code, join our community so you can be an RV member. Um, so, Jeremy, you know, interesting to bring that up because it's like, oh, well, that's in everyone's rearview mirror, too. How are you thinking about the banking sector? What's your outlook? You know, Jim and one of my colleagues, Jeff Winnegar, have been extensively using the term bank walk to describe some of the dynamics with the bank, which is, hey, all right, we're not worried about bank failures, but the fact that you can earn 5% risk-free in basically treasury security. I mean, we have an ETF it's called the Floating Rate Treasury ETF, USFR. It's got one-week duration. So there's the volatility from price of interest rate movements. You, if you look at the, it's been in the markets in 2014 when the government first issued these securities. The NAV is very stable like that because it just collects the interest and it resets every week. And you're in the 530s, 540s, and you know you don't have any. People talk about FDIC insurance or the bank deposit safe. Well, the banks are passing along what you could earn in these treasuries, which are now over 5%. And so this, you know, that trend is going to continue. Now, what's really interesting, we've seen our ETF, and even today it's trading another $500 million. So like there's still a lot of people interested in this fund. It's a $16.5 billion fund. One of the interesting things we're launching in the next few weeks is, is called Wisdom Tree Prime. And what's very tricky for the banks, we're going to have things where you could keep your money in treasuries, digital treasuries, but then essentially link spending to that on top of it, which is sort of a form of modern banking, in my view. And, 
you know, that you could actually spend off treasuries. I think the banks are challenged in the sense of they're not paying, to his point on profitability, they're not paying the 5% that everybody should be earning. And so we think this bank walk continues. We think there's other people doing stuff like what we're building. So you guys are basically innovating as the banks are handcuffed by this. You guys yes. are stepping on it because you can. Wisdom Tree Prime wait list is there in the next few weeks. Um, it'll that's, be That's really, and if other people are doing it, that's going to be, so this is not just like a hiccup moment. This is now trends which will be in place, which are going to really challenge the bank business model. I mean, you even heard Powell say it's early to say all the fallout. Like he was, he was close to say, we don't know what's. And yet Jim is sort of saying, as long as it's profitability and it's not systemic, you know, inherent sort of failure of a large institution, they don't care. That's not their problem. Talk to somebody else. Talk to bank supervision. Talk to shareholders. Fed's not going to do anything about that. Is that right? So, you know, you heard Yellen basically testify at one point saying, Small banks, not my problem. It's the large banks. And if you and, and if you have a large bank, we care about you. If it's a small bank, you're on your own. Uh, and and I, I do think the mentality is from the Fed, this is their problem. You know, they if, if the banks want deposits, pay the appropriate interest rate, right? Like don't let people go to things like our floating rate treasury or money market funds. Pay the five percent that they can be due. So I, I do think the bank, the Fed is not overly concerned about that issue. You know, they're saying they're happy if the small banks collapse and go to, not collapse generally, but just they consolidate they, towards they, small. Yeah, it collapse in to in smaller, number. like less in the market. I know what you mean. Yeah, that. consolidate, get you know, that they're, they're concentrated in the big, in the big banks that might have other sources of profitability and less concerns. But it is a strange thing for even like the largest bank among the largest banks, Bank of America, challenged on this exact question, why are you not paying your people the appropriate 5% interest rates? And part of it is because they have so much checking, how much they don't want to sacrifice that profitability, which is, yeah. okay, smart in the short run, not smart in the long run. You know, yeah. there be these other options that the way technology is going that, that will provide more competition for them. More competition, of course, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people weighing in on, on the consumer protections around all of that insurance, blah, 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 all that stuff. But but you're right. It's a, it's a And forget it, once you add in fintech and everything else, G. Blackburn says deposit flight, higher Fed funds, uh, real estate, corporate credit issues, all risks for bank. What is the upside? Is there an upside? Is there is you know Is there any buying opportunity in this sector if you go up the food chain to the larger? Well, the thing that's my point on you, the, the on buying treasuries is you remove all that question about the, the the FDIC insurance and the safety. It's you have one for one backing. Your collateral is the treasury, so that mm -hmm. safety concern is so different, you know. Versus, hey, you're just an unsecured depositor. You do have to worry about the bank health. If you have treasuries, you're in you're in good shape. I mean, we've passed it. There'll always be these debt ceiling limits, but the tr the government's pretty good at paying back. Well, if that's the worry, yeah, we've got bigger, we've got bigger fish yes. to fry, right? Um, I, I, I am so I I, I am still caught. I I agree with the sort of Bianco and my colleague Winnegar kind of view on this bank walk scenario that I think there's a longer term problem, and so I'm not rushing into the banks. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are definitely people who want to say, hey, these are really cheap. If if there's a big if. All right, if people do not care about earning the 5% interest, then okay, they're fine, they're cheap. But I think people care about the 5% interest and over time will we'll want that.
Yeah. Uh, can the broader market do well without the banking sector? Or can can we see it broaden out to everything else but the banking sector? Because right now there's a lot of concerns about how narrow it is. The oh, yeah. There's no question this year has been the, re the, the revenge of tech. You know, big tech is dominating. AI, anything AI related is dominating. Um, and then everything else is sort of sluggish. Breath did improve recently and, and sort of small caps have been catching up the last very last few weeks. Uh, and it, but I think, you know, and small caps are more heavy with these banks. So that's the main conundrum is I, I like the valuations on solar small caps, but the issue is that you get so much of the banks that, you know, I, I, I prefer going up in quality. I mean, I think if I'm going for value, um, you know, things where I probably talked about with you before, I like Japan, which is sub 10 PEs on some of our Japan value things. Um, international has very reasonable values, half the PEs of the S&P. But U.S. small and, and the banks, I too think, still have some, some issues. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we have an interesting, if, if we're looking international, we have an interesting setup because you have divergence, right? We just saw the ECB raise rates today, citing inflation. They had paused. We saw Canada, same, raise. And then we've got a policy de decision for Japan. But now people, it sounds like maybe thinking that they're going to sort of hold on to that negative interest rate policy through the remainder of this year when it looked like it was more on the table earlier with change in, how are you seeing that sort of interest rate differential? It's one of the most interesting things about Japan is there's now this 5% carry trade. If you hedge the currency risk, like Buffett was hedging his currency risk is, you know, you can get 5% on top of the local market return, which is, which is wild. So um, I, I, there's this question of, will they change the policy? Is their new head of the central bank going to be, more hawkish and some of his early words is sort of looking past the inflation spikes we're saying inflation is transitory a little bit there were some thoughts maybe just maybe they would start moving their yield curve control they're very very slow on that um so i think that carry trade persists i still don't love taking the the currency risk i love the five percent carry instead so you could buy nine pe's 11 percent earning yields plus five percent on top that seems to me like a very good value proposition yeah, so that still seems attractive. Um, yeah, there was, a, to that exact point, um, a headline on Bloomberg. I'm sure many saw yen carry traders cheer. A soft that's that's me. Yeah, soft approach with the BOJ. Um, what about Europe? So, the, 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 you know, they are, had their hawkish, but they backed it up with action, their hawkish talk. Um, are they also looking at data that may be lagging or are they facing a different inflation situation than the U.S.? We know they have the Ukraine war, but we've yes. seen energy prices really tank. It's certainly when it comes to crude, is there some concern? What's 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 happening with inflation there that we need to understand? You know, they actually don't have housing as part of their issue. So that that they that's not in some of the core metrics that they look at. What's, what's interesting, they had benefited from 
particularly natural gas was one of the more volatile commodities. European natural gas is different than U.S. natural gas. They have this TTF natural gas, which is a Dutch hub for natural gas, which had been exploding early parts of the war, collapsed utterly. I mean, the headline this morning was a 20% move as people are starting to focus on one of their things. It's sort of well known this thing was going to go offline into the winter, um, but now some of the headlines are coming back and, and, and scaring people a little bit. And so it, it, I'd say the trend in commodities has been very helpful. But that trend in that natural gas going down was very, very helpful. That's worrying a little bit, you know. And so I think Europe has that extra added, yeah, geopolitical headline risk. It sounds like that. Yes. So there's a little trickier issue there, I and mean, that's one of the reasons why I like Japan. I talk much more positive about Japan as a ally of the U.S. in Asia and and versus Europe, which is sort of center of a, a, the war at the moment. So Trillionex has an interesting comment. I was thinking about this myself today. Uh, any view on the positive wealth effect of the equity rally reviving the animal spirits and an inflationary and its inflationary impact? Does this mean Jackson Hole is set for a major reset of interest rate hike expectations? So does the Fed look at this rally and say, this is not good. If we're trying to tame inflation, we better message hard at Jackson Hole. No, I... I they could have taken more of a step yesterday, frankly. Like, I mean, that it, I don't think what's what's happened in 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 the last two days is going to change the narrative. I mean, if you think about one of the reasons why the economy might be so robust, we all refinanced our mortgages when with ultra low rates. We had a mortgage refinance, and so most people have refinanced sub, you know, around three percent or or even less for some people. And you know, you think about now earning that 5% in treasuries, There's the consumers have a huge positive carry trade on their house versus what they're getting in just treasuries. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's in a way the consumers flush with cash, even just from that interest versus what they were paying on their mortgage before. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a huge positive. And, and companies haven't had to refinance. There's not a huge wall of debt refinancing that's getting crimped by these higher rates. So you just haven't seen higher rates bleed through to have a real economic slowdown. And the question is yet, is it how, you know, how much more is coming? Uh, and, you know, how much more, will, will housing have a sharper fall? I mean, I mentioned Case Shiller was down seven of nine months. Will it come back down with the 7% mortgages again? Um, you know, there's people say there's just no supply of housing. There's some tailwinds from demographics and, and people needing, there's like a structural huge undersupply of homes, and you see that in some of the home builders who have been really, really strong. All the latest home builders reports come out strong, people beating expectations, how many homes are going up. Um, so homes have been one of the resiliencies, and that you would think prime market that should be impacted by higher interest rates just hasn't come off yet. And so that we're watching very closely that as one of the key indicators here. Yeah, and and I guess that's where, where people are a little bit worried okay, things look kind of Goldilocks now, but do we see inflation come back because those because you're seeing such a resilient economy? Do, do, is there a flare-up in the second half? Um, that's, that seems like that's the concern. Just want to get a comment in from Christopher. It's a really good observation. Uh, it could be that the markets are now discounting a much more aggressive monetary stimulus from China due to their nothing burger recovery and hoping that there will be a global reflation so U.S. fundamentals be damned. But kind of an open question on whether China can do that this time around. We have somebody very good on China. You should follow her on Twitter, Li Chen Ren. Uh, we were just talking about that today. 
Um, and she, and she, you know, th th she said there's going to be a lot of sentiment, hopes of there's some rumors about this, you know, small change in the deposit rates of stimulus for the property sector coming out. Um, she's, she doesn't have very high hopes for, for massive stimulus, thinks it, it's improving sentiment and that's positive, but not to get, you know, some, some very excited massive stimulus program doesn't, we don't see it coming. Yeah, um, we'll reach out to her and have her on because we do, we want to we want to talk about China, but um, but we're hearing that from many that they just don't think that this time around is a little bit different. If they did a massive stimulus, they'd be at threat of reinflating their property bubble, right? I mean, that's the kind of that's the dilemma that they seem to be in. Um, Ralph, asking what's your preferred yield curve play and why? Um, so USFR is that floating rate treasury. I love that for just hey for what I was traditionally doing in my checking account, cash five percent plus. It's for your very safest assets. I think that the long end, well, I mean, there's a positive carry to go short end. So the inverted yield curve is a strange dynamic. You're just focused on yield. If you think there's a real recession, maybe you get capital gains in the long end. But, you know, I actually like high yield bonds today. We have a, an ETF, WFHY, that's high yield bonds but it has a screen for quality. So you worry in a recession, these high yield spreads are gonna really break out. You're gonna have defaults. Well, the current dynamic is these, you haven't seen this mass wave. Um, now you say if they get really bad, maybe you see a pickup. That's why quality screen like we do, much better than we traditionally do. And that's an eight and a half percent yield. I mean, that's a real competition to stocks. I mean, I think stocks for the S&P 500 might be priced seven to 8% over the next 10 years based on a 20 PE. If I get eight and a half in high yield bonds, and if, if particularly if you put in a tax sheltered account, that's a real competitive value proposition. And I'd rather take the extra risk there um, in some ways, even, even for, you know, as a competitor to stocks, um, but as a, you know, a yield play. So I think that's, an, that's another interesting one we think about in the bond market. Awesome stuff. Jeremy, fantastic to catch up with you. Thank you so much. It's a really it's a really interesting time in the market. I don't think any of us thought we'd be sitting here um, even just a couple of weeks ago. So great to see you. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, we are back tomorrow. Reminder, everyone, Summer Friday, daily briefing. It's at one. We'll all get used to it. You'll be happy when you can run off to the beach or your travels early. So, and if you can't make it and you've got to roll up at four the normal time, you can watch it on replay. So hope you'll all join us live. We'll see you then. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. So this is probably going to be the worst marketing messages of all time, that everything you're about to learn at the Real Vision Festival of Learning, the AI edition, is going to be out of date really soon. But you need to know it anyway. That's the crazy world of AI. The speed of which it's developing is absolutely astonishing. And so is the speed it's taken the public attention and imagination, the hype cycle, and already jobs. It's a very, very big deal. I think it's one of the most important things to happen to the global, global economy in my lifetime, and maybe longer. But where is it all going? And the honest answer is, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But for two weeks, we're going to have a lot of fun trying to find out. So starting from June 5th, we're going to have the AI edition of the Festival of Learning. I hope you join us for what's going to be an epic two weeks right before we launch Real Vision 2.0, where we are starting to plant the seeds towards our AI journey too. Anyway, hope to see you there. It'll be a super interesting two weeks.
What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.